This is Heart of It All, and I'm your host, Liz Paul. In this episode, we are thrilled to talk with horror film director Chelsea Stardust. We talk with Chelsea about her film school experience, working with powerhouses Ivan Reitman, Judd Apatow, and Jason Blum, and about the magnificent career of Cleveland's own director Wes Craven. I am thrilled to have film director Chelsea Stardust on Heart of It All today. So Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So the focus of this podcast is to explore the Ohio-Hollywood connection and to discover just how much Ohio's people um, have influenced the entertainment industry. Um, so, But I thought we would start this interview by getting to know you a bit and hearing your story. So can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? So we're about an hour east of Cleveland, um, kind of closer to Pennsylvania, actually, then. Because, you know, everyone always gives like a touch point city of like, I'm from Cleveland, I'm from Columbus. I'm from... But mine is so rural that I usually just have to say that to give people an idea of where I'm from. Um, but very rural and uh, very much country mouse to city mouse in my life. <laughs> so what was your childhood like? Did you have siblings and what did your parents do? Yeah. So um, I am an only child and I'm the daughter of two artists, two fine artists. So my mother is a sculptor and also an art teacher. And my dad is a painter. Um, and my, my, both my parents love movies as well. And when my dad, you know, they both went to art school. And when my dad was in school, he was also making movies and loved movies. He actually went to undergraduate um, school with David Lynch. So he was there at the, at the Pennsylvania Academy at the same time as David Lynch. Um, and I grew up on a farm, um, not a traditional working farm, but it was full of animals. So I grew up with like 30 dogs, 20 cats. We had a lot of dogs because uh, I raced sled dogs for a long time. And my parents raced sled dogs basically until I went to college. So that was something, probably if I wasn't a director, I would be still racing sled dogs. And also I'm a big genre fan um, in terms of horror movies. I love horror movies. And that was also because of my parents. Um, and they love Halloween. And so it sort of started there. And then I went down the path of watching horror movies. And, and um, that sort of helped shape who I am as a director. Do you remember when you first fell in love with the horror genre? I mean, I've always loved cinema. I love all cinema. Um, since I was little, my favorite movie is Back to the Future. Um, mm. I have Back to the Future tattoos. I have a Breakfast Club tattoo. I have an Alfred Hitchcock tattoo. A lot of movie tattoos. I just got a John Waters tattoo. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that just gives you an idea of like my aesthetic. That's great. But I grew up reading scary stories to tell in the dark and yes. Benicula. I was obsessed with Benicula. And um, goosebumps. So it kind of started there. And then of course my parents would show me the sort of appropriate for kids horror adjacent stuff because I loved Halloween so much. They're like, okay, let's watch, you know, Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Black Cauldron, Sleeping Beauty. So it kind of sort of started there. And then it was the Universal Monster movies. And I remember seeing Dracula and just absolutely falling in love with Bela Lugosi and really with the Universal Monster movies. They're tragedies, and they're um, there's something that I really 
as an only child, like really connected with these monsters. Um, and then as I got older, you know, it was okay. Alien and the Omen and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the movie that I absolutely fell in love with night of the living dead. And as I would watch movies, I would start to kind of pay attention to the directors, the writers, the cinematographers, the composers. And I was sort of self-educating. Um, and then I started making movies myself. <laughs> then I took a continuing education course while I was in high school at the Cleveland Institute of Art with a filmmaker in, in Ohio named Robert Banks, who's based in Cleveland. He's an incredible experimental filmmaker. And he taught me how to shoot on Super 8. So Super 8 shooting, editing, and you know, drawing on the film and coloring the film in and doing all sorts of like really wacky stuff. Um, and yeah, he's innovative. the one who also innovate. Yeah, yeah, totally. And he also helped shape my love of horror because, um, and this is going to circle, we're going to do a full circle later on in this podcast, but he gave me this stack of VHS tapes because this is still the time of VHS. Um, I'm aging myself. People are going to listen and be like, no, it's all good. You're in good company. (laughs) Yeah, you're in good company. Um, I still have a VHS player that I use all the time. But um, (laughs) he handed me a stack of movies and he's like, this is what you need to watch. And it was George Romero's Martin. Um, It was Larry Cohen's God Told Me To. And it was Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. And he said, this is what you need to be watching. And, and of course, they were very different than what I was watching at the time because I was watching sort of the more blockbuster stuff. And so he's showing me these um, uh, more indie, in the indie world of horror films. So, um, and then from there, I decided I wanted to go to film school. Right. And you went to Ohio University for film school. And what was that process like? To be to go to OU as an undergrad at this time to be in the film program, you had to go through the Honors Tutorial College, um, which was sort of this Oxford style um, where you don't take general education requirements; you are just thrust right into your major. And I loved that, <laughs> and I loved the idea of tutorial style teaching, more intimate. At the time, they only took three people a year through the honors program. And I was one of those three. But my class, you're also with graduate students. My class was only 11 people, but they were from all over the world. And we just had the best creative collaboration. And the entire film school was so diverse, which I'm so thankful for to have had that experience. Um, NOU itself but the minute I sort of like really got onto the campus and immersed myself in it, I was like, this is incredible. It's one of the most beautiful places um, in Ohio. And my experience there was so, oh my God, it was so, I don't know if I can swear on here, but it was so fucking magical that I loved my four years at Athens so much. I have to say one of the best parts of going to college for film and college in general was that I got to meet so many people. And to this day, people I met at OU, I am making movies with. So like my cinematographer and is from OU. I met him freshman year at Film 101 class. My editor. Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah. Someone that. I've used to edit my films. And and they're all like, everyone is working pretty much in the field they wanted to when they were at school. So everything from cinematographers, editors, music supervisors, actors, costumers, you name it, 
I know someone from OU that does it. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible networking. And it's like it's almost like it's your community. Like you are building that yes. community here at Ohio University. And it's, you know, it's now in the real world, you know, you're you're leaning on them. Well, when you went to L.A., what was what was your first job when you got there? While I was still at OU, I, I did an internship at um, a place called Heyday Productions. And at the time, they were making the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. And they actually asked me if I wanted to PA on one. And I was like, no, I got to go finish my year at school. Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. It. Right. So it would have been a very different experience if I, if I would have done that. But um, where I am now. However, I went back, finished my degree. And then I was home maybe a week from OU. And I got a call from the woman I'd interned for. And she said, I changed companies. Did you graduate? Are you still moving to LA? And I was like, yes, I'm, I graduated. Yes, I'm moving to LA. She's like, great. I need a new assistant. Can you start in a week? Wow. And she moved companies and worked for a company called Montecito Picture Company. And that is owned, it was the head of the company is Ivan Reitman. Um, rest oh, in wow. peace. So Ivan Reitman of yeah. Ghostbusters yeah. produced Animal House. Um, just an incredible director. And so I worked there for two years as her assistant. Um, as her name's Allie Bell. So the first, my first job in the industry was working for a woman who was awesome and really showed me the ropes. And I got to go on my first movie set, um, where my very first like true movie set. And I'm talking to Michael Keaton, Jane Lynch, Carol Burnett. Like the cast was incredible. It's a movie called Post Grad, and. It was directed by a woman named Vicki Jensen. So sort of my first real movie set was a movie directed by a woman, which was incredible. And then I ended up getting a job working for Judd Apatow for two years. So I was part of Get Him to the Greek and Funny People and Bridesmaids, also an incredible experience. But I was in, you know, working on comedy and all I wanted was to work in horror. Right. <laughs> but I was so far away from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I, you know, my heart wasn't really in that the, the comedy space. It's 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 a complicated space. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't really what I want to do. And Judd was like, I totally understand. You know, good luck to you. I don't know anything about that genre. And then after that, I was unemployed for like maybe three months. And then a friend came to me and she's like, hey, there's this guy who needs an assistant. He's promoting his current assistant. Do you want to interview? And I was like, what's his name? And they said his name's Jason Blum. I thought, I have no idea who that is. (laughs) And I looked him up and he had like maybe uh, four or five credits, but they were like kicking and screaming, the reader, tooth fairy, and then paranormal activity. And I said, I'd love to interview for this. And so I met up with him and we bonded over my Hitchcock tattoo because he loves Hitchcock. And he said, you know, I want you to come see this movie that I'm, I'm releasing. And I said, okay, cool. And I went to the Sony lot and this, and he says, bring a friend or two. So I brought a couple people and it's just me, two of my friends and Rob Zombie (laughs) watching this movie. (laughs) And I was like, this is weird. Why is Rob Zombie here? Um, The movie starts and it just builds up to this incredible crescendo in the score and the movie's insidious. And so we watch insidious and I'm blown away by it. And I told him afterwards, I said, I think this movie is going to have a huge impact and I think it's going to make a lot of money. (laughs) And he said, great, you're hired. I was there four years as his executive assistant and I watched Blumhouse grow into 
the basically sort of mini studio it is today. Like to see his trajectory was pretty incredible. And I was a part of 27 movies while I worked there. So, um, which is insane (laughs) to think about. Um, But he knew I wanted to direct. I didn't want to get promoted to become a producer. And so I said, I will be at this company as long as you'll have me and until it feels right to move on. And, you know, he always wanted to know what am I watching? What am I seeing? What director should he know about? Um, And I watched the company just sort of grow and grow and grow. And then it became, you know, Whiplash was about to go to the Oscars. Um, Oh my gosh. That was such a good movie. Yeah, it was was incredible. Jason was about to have his first kid. Um, I was there when he got married and his wonderful wife, Lauren, the, the company was becoming more corporate. And I was like, I think this is my time to go. So I, I let him know. And I said, I think I need to start. I haven't directed anything since college. And that had been eight years had passed. <laughs> I said, right. I need to get back into it. Can you describe to me a little bit between, you'd mentioned, you know, being in comedy and being in horror, the two genres, you know, besides your interest in more interest in horror, you know, what were some differences working in those two um, genres? I mean, they're, they are very similar because they're both about timing. If you can time a laugh, mm-hmm. you can time a, you know, time a scare. So they do kind yep. of live in a similar space. I will say the biggest difference is the, the people. <laughs> you know, it's funny as, you know, people get freaked out about the horror genre, but the people who make horror movies, I have found to be the nicest, most genuine people because they're exercising their demons through their work, as opposed to in comedy, you're holding on to it all the time. I read some research that you got to shadow Adam Robitel on Insidious. Yes. And so what was that experience like for an aspiring film director? And, you know, and how did you get to that, that spot there? Someone at Blumhouse reached out and said, hey, Adam Robitel is looking for an assistant for Insidious 4 to hang out and help him out. And I had actually met Adam at a party the night before I got this email. So we had just met and I just reached out to him and I said, hey, I hear you need an assistant on Insidious Chapter 4. And he said, I do. You're hired. But instead of being like, go get my laundry or whatever, Adam treated it as a shadowing experience. So I was with him by his side in prep and production on set every day. And I could just ask him questions and just watch him work. And that more than anything probably prepared me for making my first movie. So just being able to observe him was was really incredible. And I'm so thankful for that experience. And literally the year after that, I directed my first movie. To be so closely involved with such, you know, a powerhouse of horror movies at Blumhouse Productions and that whole experience, what were some of the most important moments that influenced your move to be a full-time director, um, you know, maybe other than uh, your your mentorship with Adam? To be honest, I always wanted to direct. That's just something I always wanted to do since I first started making movies on the farm. <laughs> and so I knew that was my path. But I will say, like, sort of being, you know, I was able to watch, sit in the room during pitches that directors were doing. I was part of, you know, seeing development notes coming. So that's notes the producers give on scripts, sort of seeing the structure of that, really seeing the the other side of it, like w- what production mm-hmm. companies are looking at with directors and projects. 
that was so insightful that it felt like I felt like I can I can do this like like just absorbing all the information like a sponge watching Lee Winnell work and James Wan work and listening to sort of directors you know fight for their vision and you know all that stuff just really fueled my fire Mm -hmm. um and honestly just sort of seeing the end product seeing you know all of these elements put together in the final product of the movie was really exciting to me and i was i was you know so determined to make a movie it took me 10 years to make my first feature film um and just all of these elements helped fuel the fire and honestly i just never I never gave myself a plan B. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, yeah. So determination and seeing yeah. other other determined directors, that is sort of was like, I can do this. And um, I once I directed my first short after college and like, you know, while I was working for Crypt TV, I was like, oh yeah, this is, I can still, this is what this is like. It's been so long. I... I want to keep doing this. Yeah. Was it like riding a bike or was it like, oh, I got to get more of this? Yeah, it was. It was like that. The feature, when you're doing your first feature, it's a short times 10. So it was way more intense. Um, But yeah, so that's that that, those are what sort of what I think of (laughs) yeah well I mean 2019 was a huge year for you I mean you didn't you have you had two features released that that year right that you directed yes yes um I yeah in 2018 I shot two movies my first two films um I shot a movie called all that we destroy which is a science fiction thriller I directed that at the beginning of the year January February and then at the end of the year, I directed a horror comedy called Satanic Panic. And then they both came out in 2019 within a month of each other. And so you were busy. It was, <laughs> it was insane. One came out on All That We Destroy came out on Hulu. It's part of the Blumhouse Into the Dark um, series. And then Satanic Panic did a 30 film festival circuit. So it played at 30 film festivals. And, um, then by the time that was done, the movie came out in October of 2019, I finished up, um, all the sort of promo I had to do for it. And then the pandemic hit. And so that, you know, I, I just squeaked those movies out just in time. So what projects are you working on now? Okay. So right now I'm getting ready to pitch a TV show that I'm doing with my husband who wrote my first movie him and his writing partner, they wrote All That We Destroy. So we're getting ready to take a TV show out to pitch it. And then I am I also have a feature in the works to shoot next spring. So we're casting that right now. And then also I'm working on other projects. So I'm you know, developing things, working on scripts. You know, you always have to have multiple eggs in multiple baskets. <laughs> right, right. And so that's what's coming up next for me. Oh, wonderful. Well, I look forward to to seeing all that you're going to produce. Thank you. I'm so excited. What sets creative Ohio filmmakers and industry leaders apart from others? Like, what is it about Ohio? Or do you think it's coincidental? Or, you know, what's your what's your take on that? Um, It's in the water. No, um, (laughs) I think there's a specific work ethic I notice out of people from the Midwest. And I, I don't know why specifically that is, but it's very much, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and working really hard. And maybe that's just 
how we're raised or the environment we were raised in and also to really embrace and follow your dreams and it it's not everybody does that but just kind of looking at you know during my time at at OU and during those 4 years all the people i met in that time and how many wanted to go out and make movies and how many of us did it and are still doing it. And also we have each other. So like when I moved out to LA, I had a whole community of people from Ohio Mm -hmm. that we all helped each other. And I think that's another thing is there's not really, at least I, in my experience, a sense of competition. It's let's help one another so we can work together because there's nothing better than making movies with your friends and people you went to college with and have a shared history with and that really get you and know you. And I think it's like we want to have it be a community instead of a competition. There's no entitlement. There's everyone's just working really fucking hard um, <laughs> right, right. to get where they want to get. And just to see everyone's success is just um, inspiring to me and that we're all sort of in it together. But I, I mean, maybe because Ohio's the heart of it all. Exactly. <laughs> like, also, I think coming from the country and how to like deal with being afraid of the dark because it is Ohio is a place where it gets fucking dark out. Yeah, we're, we're in it right now. <laughs> right. And we also like, you know, we've we experience extreme cold in Ohio because Lake Erie is right there. Like we're, it makes us pretty resilient. I think that's the thing. I think it's resilience. I think Ohio mm-hmm. just breeds like true resilience and that you can kind of get through, um, you can get through anything coming from there. That's sort of how I feel sometimes. I'm like, oh, because I had this experience or that experience or this experience, I feel prepared for this, you know? So those are, that, that's my, that's my two cents on it. <laughs> A 25 cents. Yeah. Tw- <laughs> <laughs> so like when you hear of a movie or a TV series being set in Ohio, uh, just a- across any genre, like in, you know, in TV, limited series, you know, movie, what's your gut reaction? Um, well, I get very excited about that. The only downside is, and this is something I hope to change at some point, is like I would love to make a movie in Ohio. I would love for those movies that they take place in Ohio that they're actually shot there because like the tax incentives are great. Like there's reasons to it's, it's the production design. You can't get that natural production design just anywhere. Um, I get excited about it. However, if something does not track, I'm like, "Mm, that's not correct. (laughs) Like "Mm, that person has not been to Ohio. Um, There was something I watched recently um, I was watching a movie for notes and they had a subway system like underground. I was like, that, that is not in Cleveland that, that went out <laughs> of business in like the thirties. So this is incorrect and not, I mean, when you're going that far, like, give me a break. Like, right. Let's right. Not, I'll, I'll, I'll give some things some, a pass, but that's just a simple Google to find out if that is in Ohio. Otherwise just don't set it there. There's a hundred other places you could set it. Right. But if people want like, what I want is to make movies. I'd love to make movies in Ohio and like actually set them there and make them there, which like there are some movies that have done that, but it always, I was like, and Ohio is actually used a lot. It's kind of funny to like, for some reason it's, it's brought up a lot. I don't know. It's always the sort of touchstone state in a lot of situations. Um, but 
I hope to see it more. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, why I wanted to to make this podcast is like Ohio being mentioned in entertainment industry pro- projects is not going away. Like, you know, everything from, you know, um, Family Ties set in Columbus, Ohio, to um, Noah Baumbach's mm-hmm. newest uh, Netflix movie, White Noise, is set in Ohio. I mean, it just, it's it goes on and on and on. And so I'm always interested, is it that there are awesome folks like you who are from Ohio who want to pay um, homage to Ohio? Or is it that Ohio is um, means something to to the industry in general. And so I'd love to kind of pick your brain about that. Yeah, I think it's both of those things. But I also think it's these the creatives wanting something that is relatable to more of the United States. I think a lot of times when they say New York or L.A., if you don't live in either of those places, it's maybe not as relatable. Mm-hmm. So by setting something in Ohio, you're like, oh, that's only like a couple. I'm in the Midwest. That I relate to that state. I think it's more of trying to appeal to more of the United States mm-hmm. by setting it in a place that people maybe feel more connected with, and that again they can because also it is, you know, it's it's placement connecting to so many states. A lot of times when I was working at production companies, they were talking about appealing to Middle America and their projects, like how do we connect with Middle America? And I think Ohio, being part of the Midwest, at least in my opinion, it is. Um, I think that makes it more people more people can relate to it and connect with it than you know L.A. or New York City. If you haven't been to a place like that, I think it's maybe alienates people a little bit because I think there's some some people have this sort of pretentious idea of those cities. But if you don't mm-hmm. set it in a place like that, you you immediately do not have to worry about that people feeling that way or thinking that way. Um, and most people, I feel like, have a connection to it in some way. Oh, I have an aunt <laughs> right. that lives there. The amount of people that have talked to me, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I got an uncle there. I grew up there or whatever. I pass through there when I drive to such and such, and I always stop at this place. So I think because of its placement, that's another reason, too, that people connect with it. At least that's just like sort of my first thoughts on it. Okay, so now we're going to kind of shift the interview um, to talk about Wes Craven. So Wes Craven, um, gosh, is one of the probably the most important film directors in the horror genre with Nightmare on Elm Street, which Craven wrote and directed, the cult favorite that you mentioned, The Hills Have Eyes. Um, and of course, the Scream films. And Wes Craven was from Cleveland. So I, I kind of wanted to just open it up. Like, you know, how did Wes Craven influence you? It's actually, it's it can be hard to talk about because I love Wes so much. And I'm so sad that he is no longer with us because um, he is such a huge inspiration for me and so many filmmakers and genre lovers. Um, and the fact that he's from Ohio, because again, it's like, you know, anytime you, you're able to uproot yourself from where you're from and and go to that city, whether it's New York or Los Angeles or, or whatnot is, is hard. And um, mm-hmm. anytime you're able to do that because of your dream to make movies is, is pretty incredible. And he's such a huge um, inspiration to me. So the first of Wes's movies that I saw was, was 
The Hills Have Eyes, um, because that's what my film, that's what Robert Banks uh, gave me on a VHS dub. And I was like, this movie's insane. And then I immediately started seeing, seeking out his other movies. So obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street came right after that. And Last House on the Left, Deadly Blessing, Swamp Thing. Serpent in the Rainbow is one of my personal favorites. And I think it's kind of an underrated one. You know, one of my biggest regrets is that I went to a screening of People Under the Stairs here in Los Angeles. Oh, I love and that movie. Yeah, it's so great. Also underrated, I think. But afterwards, there was like a little courtyard behind the theater. And I was with a couple friends of mine. You know, Wes was basically standing across from me. And I, I thought my friend was like going to introduce us, but he didn't. And I should have just reached my hand out and introduced myself to him. And that's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't just say like, hello, and thank you for your contribution to the genre. Um, and he was one of the, like, he's so intelligent. I highly encourage folks to go out and like, just Google like YouTube videos of Wes talking about movies and talking about horror movies. And he's so incredibly intelligent. He was also a professor and he's soft-spoken and he's so sweet and everyone who worked with him loved him. Like I asked Jerry O'Connell when I worked on Satanic Panic, because Jerry's in Satanic Panic, I said, what can you tell me about Scream 2? What can you tell me about Wes? And Wes is one of those people, again, when I talk about the kindness that you find in this genre. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he was the nicest person ever. And, and everybody loved him. And it's just such a loss to not have him here anymore. And he was doing such different movies too. He started out in the adult entertainment industry, he started out in porn. Right, right. <laughs> he, he was able to transition, like making movies in the 70s. Not all horror directors were able to keep their careers going into the 90s, let alone the 2000s. So like he's making, you know, these really intense movies in the 70s. But then in the 80s, he's making you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then in the 90s, he's doing People Under the Stairs, A New Nightmare. And then in 96, he does Scream. And, you know, just looking at that trajectory is pretty incredible. And then is one of the only directors to, to direct every installment of the Scream franchise. Like, and then he, and then all the way to the 2000s, like 2011 is when Scream 4 came out. But like, that trajectory of success is fucking incredible. It's Absolutely. just so amazing. And it just is a testament to, you know, to, to him. And, um, anyways, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm love Nightmare on Elm Street. I love so many of his movies are such a huge inspiration to me. And I remember in 2015, when I heard that he had died, that there is just this collective grieving that happened amongst all of us like genre lovers and cinema lovers at because nobody knew like nobody knew he was sick everyone was just completely devastated um and I just you know I would yeah so yeah. <laughs> sorry it makes me emotional because he's so important to me absolutely absolutely well thank you for sharing that because you know I think that he has created such a lasting impact and such a long career it's just incredible and you produced a mini documentary called The Craven Touch. I did. Yeah, what was what was that process like? Elijah Drenner, who Elijah does a lot of these great docs. And a lot of times they they are little um, supplemental 
pieces on on DVD. A lot of the horror films, the Blu-rays have really incredible bonus features. But this was specifically about Wes, and we got to talk to, um, you know, composers and cinematographers and producers who had worked with him. We even talked to his assistant, which was a pretty incredible because again having been an assistant just sort of hearing the inside track and and everyone just loved him and loved working with him and just you know being a part of that documentary which which was originally I think supposed to be its own standalone thing but is now a a bonus feature but just to hear stories just to hear people's stories about Wes and and the kind of person he was and also, as you know, you know, he said some things in Ohio, even though they're not filmed in Ohio. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, saying like, oh, yeah, this is we're using Ohio for this. And, you know, really thinking about those those roots. And of course, just I, I love that we we share the state that we're from. And um, and also just like the stories of where he got his ideas, like Nightmare on Elm Street, like sort of how his brain worked and how he would read articles and be like, oh, man, what, that could be a. Because he was so smart. Again, he's a professor, and and his sort of approach to storytelling, I just loved. And some, he just does the most. You know, some of these movies I listed, I listed off like Nightmare on Elm Street has an iconic <laughs> villain. Um, Scream, iconic villain. Like for the ones that you see all the time, for two of those to have been generated by the same person is incredible to me. Well, oh my god. And and that fact, well I read I don't know if this is fact or not, but that that Wes was bullied as a as a kid in Cleveland by someone named Fred Krueger. Named Fred Krueger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also I love his you know, yeah, so I love that he's taking pieces of of his actual life um because there's a lot of biographical elements in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, the Fred Krueger bullying and he read you know, an article in the New York Times about, you know, these articles from the 70s about these um, uh, uh, refugees um, from Southeast Asia who were dying in their sleep. They were having these horrific nightmares and they were calling it like sudden unexplained death syndrome, but that no one really like connected the dots to these things and that they were sort of related to one another. So that he's taking that element, the Fred Krueger element, the idea of, you know, these movies that had come out with these iconic masks, because at this point, 84, we'd seen, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we'd seen Halloween. Um, Michael Myers with the Halloween mm-hmm. mask. And he's like, well, there's limitations with a mask. You can't really talk. You can't, there's certain things you can't do. So he's like, what if instead of that, you still make the actor mobile? And so it's it's a burn. It's like, it's crazy. It's just yeah. like the thinking about that stuff is how can you still make this scary? And of course, Freddie, instead of a knife carrying, it's part of his body. Like his hand is what, like just thinking of these iconic, these things that we see a picture of that glove, everyone knows it's Freddie Krueger. Oh yeah. Or like a it's boiler, incredible. like a boiler, you know, with the flames. Yeah. It's like, okay. Oh, it's amazing. And the opening yeah, scene amazing. of him making his glove with the knives and it's just like, or and, and the creepy, um, you know, kids, uh, kids rhyme. Oh my gosh, that did me in when oh, I was yeah. a kid. <laughs> yeah, and I just love that he really dabbled in all different. That's something that I'm personally inspired by. Is he was he he sort of dabbled in dabbled in all different subgenres of horror. So, you know, he's he's and also 
he has a movie that one of the actors was nominated for an Oscar for, like Music of the Heart. Like he also did a movie that wasn't horror at all. So that's kind of wild to me. But he's doing all these different subgenres of horror and, you know, vampire things, obviously Freddy Krueger and, and Deadly Blessing and people under the stairs. And all of them have sort of a commentary throughout them too. And I just am in such admiration of that. So he also inspires me to just explore all the subgenres of horror. You don't mm-hmm. just have to do horror comedy. You don't just have to do thrillers. You don't just have to do this or that. That you can really expand your horizons um, and what you want to do. And I just think he is uh, such a such a treasure. And and now with the Scream franchise back again. And I know the. Radio Silence, um, the, the directors of that, Radio Silence, they love Wes and they want to pay homage to to him and his craft and, and everything. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. I can talk about Wes forever. <laughs> well, this is amazing. This has been so wonderful to talk with you about your career and about your experiences. And I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for having me. I can literally talk about my love for movies, horror, Athens, Ohio for days. So, (laughs) and I hope like one day I, I like dream of having a house in Athens and being able to just like split my time between here and there and being like a um, visiting artist. (laughs) for a semester I love that so much putting that out to you anyone listening let me help out these students and give them some words some pearls of wisdom thank you so much I appreciate you Chelsea thank you for having me that was film director Chelsea Stardust please visit our show notes where you can find links to watch Chelsea's films All That We Destroy and Satanic Panic If you like these episodes and want to hear more, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get these stories to more ears. This episode was engineered by Adam Rich with support from WOUB Public Media. This episode was produced by me and assistant producer Rory Ball. You can find us on social media with the handle at heartofitallpod. As always, thank you for listening.